I was 12 at the time. I worked at uh, Baylor University Medical Center Outpatient Eating Disorder Clinics, which is a mouthful there. It's a lot. Um, and what I did uh, as I was a therapist and, and behavioral specialist, and one of the things that we did was teach stress management. And I, I was um, trained in how to teach stress management based solely on psychological theory and technique, so breathing exercises and thought exercises and those kinds of things. And that was part of helping people deal with their uh, um, compulsive behaviors related to eating disorders. I was part of a church at the time in Fort Worth, and our pastor, Harold Bullock, called me up one day and asked me to, if I would lead a seminar on stress management for the church, I said, great, I would love to do that. And he paused, there was this, this little bit of a pause, and I'm thinking during that pause, I got this, because I do this on my job, I teach stress management. And then he added, from a biblical perspective, I don't know what the Bible says about that. I didn't say that out loud to him. I just said, sure. Now, there was enough time. There was a few months, you know, lead time on that. So I dove into Scripture. And what I had was kind of, I had this whole list of all of the things that I did in teaching stress management on one, one side. And then as I dove into scripture, my intent was on the other side of the page, I, I actually did this, the other side of the page, I was going to start writing down scriptures that were compatible with that, and that would help me then. Basically, I was looking for, for scripture that would um, talk about the things on that, that side of the column. Well... As I would get into it, I would read scripture and I would look at the things on my list and I would cross it out and say, you know what? I don't need that anymore. The scripture addresses this. Long story short, by the time I was done, everything on that side was crossed out and I was left with a different understanding of managing stress in my life and how people deal with that. And doing that really changed the way I approached a lot of things. So I want to share those things with you tonight. That's really where I'm coming from. Bible has a lot to say about that. My, my hope tonight is that this is a real practical help to you. It's not just uh, ideas, but that you can leave tonight with some really practical tools uh, that you can use this week, even today. Uh, so... With that in mind, I want to talk about first uh, understanding anxiety. Um, anxiety is known by several different names. Fear, trouble, worry, cares, concern, even terror, distress, suffering, burden, apprehension, dread, uneasiness, just all kinds of different names. Uh, I will talk about uh, just a few of those tonight, but I'm using it interchangeably with anxiety. The Bible uses different words also for anxiety. But one one key to getting a grip on anxiety 
is to understand that it is a normal part of life. This, this scripture here, Jesus was talking to his disciples and said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now peace is the opposite of anxiety that something we'll talk about later. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart because I have overcome the world. So uh, he said in this life you will have trouble. It, it, to be alive is to have trouble. So take heart. If you're having trouble right now, that means you're alive. Because to be alive is to have trouble. Of some kind. In fact, actually life can be seen as one problem-solving challenge after another. You're constantly asking yourself, how am I going to do this? I'm going to do that. Uh, so it just it has trouble. And so one of the approaches that psychology tends to take, which I have high regard for, by the way, uh, one of the approaches that's a little bit different than what the Bible takes on this is it the goal, in fact, the stated goal of therapy. Um, I'm going to use a fancy word here because they like to use fancy words. The amelioration of distress. That's the goal of therapy. It simply means getting rid of distress. Actually, the Bible has a little different, different perspective. The biblical perspective on distress is that we learn to manage it and grow from it, not get rid of it. So I can tell you up front, this, this workshop is not about getting rid of stress. Now you can minimize stress, you can reduce it, or you can create more, and there are ways to do that. But the ultimate goal is not to be stress-free. Actually, stress is a good thing. Stress motivates, among other things. It also puts pressure on us to rethink our lives. So it, it's not the elimination of it. Another idea, so I want to share um, actually talking about uh, kind of a lengthy passage here that we're going to be coming back to. So I want to read the whole thing to you about anxiety being a normal part of life. Jesus is teaching. Um, it's a long, there's several chapters that are devoted to this. Uh, Jesus is preaching, he's giving a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. In the middle of this, he talks about life. This is what he has to say. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, nor what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. I just one thought here. Um, this phrase, do not be anxious, is used all throughout the Bible. And when I see that, say, don't, do not be anxious. My first response to that is, yeah, I'm right. Like, just stop it. Don't be anxious. And it, it, you probably have the experience I've had. The more you try not to be anxious, the more anxious you are. Just thinking about it. Like thinking, it's like being on a diet and trying not to think about food. 
You think about food all the time. Uh, but the Bible doesn't just tell us not to be anxious, it tells us how not to be anxious. So it says, Look at the birds of the air, they neither uh, sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Um, I'm going to come back to this in a little bit, but part of what anxiety is, is trying to get control of what we don't have control of. That's what this is addressing. Try to add one single hour to your life. You have no control over it. You can't do that. It's not possible. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So a lot of things in this passage. Um, and it gives us a, a, a lot of understanding about God's perspective. So I'm going to be coming back to this and highlighting different parts of it as we move on. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and yet your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So the first idea is that God recognizes that this is just a normal part of life. <clears throat> He's talking about what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, just the stuff of life is what anxiety is about. And these passages are about taking a certain perspective on that. So we'll come back to that. Therefore, do not, and this, this is the last verse in this, but anxiety is related to uh, our attitude toward the future. So after that lengthy passage, uh, this is, this is how Jesus wraps that up. Therefore, because of everything I've said, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So, life is about heading into the future. You know, we're constantly heading into the future. Uh, we can't go back. And we can't stay where we are. If there's this constant movement into the future. Here's the problem, though. The future is completely, absolutely unknown. What we worry about is the future. We, we think about the future. And we handle that in different ways. But whatever you're concerned about right now involves the future. Whatever it is, it involves the future. Even if it's about the past, it still involves the future. Somehow. Um, but that is completely unknown. Another thing about anxiety, the nature of anxiety 
is that is that a conflicting demand? So I want to I want to read this passage to you. And then I want to do a little exercise that will help you understand this. Right now, I'm just introducing you to some ideas about what anxiety is, and then then we'll talk about what to do about that. So this is this is one of those passages of scriptures. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this in his letter to the Philippians, and this passage is one of those passages that just answers the question, what do we do about anxiety? How do we handle it? It's very pointed and very specific and very practical. So again, here's that phrase, have no anxiety. Actually, there's another version of this that says, don't worry, don't worry about anything. But, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So I want to, um, before I talk about this a little bit more, I want to do an exercise right now. And I need four volunteers for this. Um, I'm not going to make you do anything weird <laughs> or embarrass you at all. I just, but I need four volunteers. No, just come on up. Uh, okay. Come on, come on. Okay, that works. Uh, okay, Ben.
The word uh, that is used here, uh, I'm going to use the pointer because that's what I do. You're not standing right here. Something where I have to do. The word anxiety, this word right here, literally means to be double minded, to be torn in different directions. Or to be conflicted, conflicting demands. So anxiety means uh, to be double-minded. Actually, that's what this verse here is about, where uh, that same passage that we looked at before, um, this verse is before that whole passage, and it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and wealth. So that's the conflicting demands. So anxiety from a biblical perspective is not about emotions. Just emotions. It's not primarily about emotions. It's not about all kinds of stuff happening it is about um, all kinds of simultaneous demands on us that all seem equally important. And then having no resources, or lacking the resources, to give adequate attention to all of those things. That is literally what anxiety is. Which gives us some insight into how to handle it. Uh, so that's why it's important to understand that. Now I want to back off for a little bit, back away from that. So we have that understanding of what anxiety is about the future. And it's about all of these demands on us as we move into the future and an inability to meet those demands. Actually, it's an inability to prioritize. And so that creates more of an anxiety or a feeling that something is going to go wrong. Something is going to happen and I'm going to be in trouble. You can think of it another way as juggling all kinds of things at the same time. And it's okay as long as you know, you've got a couple of things and then you add something else and you add something else and you add something else and what's going to happen? We use that phrase dropping the ball. So that, that's what's going on. Um, see, I should have had a picture up there when Ben was because that was a great picture of what is happening in these competing demands. Now, I want to back away a little bit and talk about what are some common ways. So here, here was Ben okay, being torn in different directions, and I think everybody here can identify with that. Um, how do we how do we cope with that? What are some different strategies that we cope with? And this is not an exhaustive list. What I want you to do, I'm going to walk through each of these, and I want you to look at. Actually, before I describe them, I want to ask you if you identify with the picture. How many of you identify with this here? Stuart, just the picture. Okay. 
Uh, what about avoiding? Guy sticking his head in the sand. Controlling. Catastrophizing. And reacting. Okay, I, that, by the way, I can raise my hand all over the So, avoiding is ignoring problems. That's this one here. Ignoring problems, hoping they will go away, resolve themselves, or magically work themselves out. Uh, by the way, what, what, what will that do? So think about Ben standing up here. If Ben avoids it, doesn't address those, what will that do to those demands? What will happen? Will they go away? No. Actually, you could probably keep adding more to that. Or they will ramp it up and get louder and louder and louder. And it'll just get worse. Uh, what about uh, stewing? Stewing is repeatedly rehearsing or ruminating in your mind. And a uh, conversation that is complaining about what is going on. So either the, the ruminating is rehearsing it in your own mind. It's inside your head. Some people do it that way. I'm much more of an internal processor than I think about. I kind of uh, stew in that way. But there's another kind of stewing that is really spewing. <laughs> is complaining about it to anybody and everybody. And you know what's going on in my life right now? There's this, there's this, there's that. And that's that's a kind of stupid. Uh, that also doesn't change anything. I actually can add to it. Hyper controlling. That's over organizing one's life and demanding that people comply with it to feel better about what we cannot control. So we control what we can control, we control others, so that that reduces the anxiety that we have. Thank you, Alex. Catastrophizing is exaggerating what has, can, or will happen, and rehearsing it repeatedly. And then reacting is getting inordinarily angry and upset, making sure that everyone now, what all these have in common is they change nothing. The goal is to feel better about what we cannot change. And it, there are ways of helping us feel better about the future. They actually, over time, make things worse. Uh, what if, before we move into, we're going to uh, spend the bulk of the time looking at how you, what you do with all of that thing. And what is the right way to handle this? These are, these don't really work to take care of the real problem, which is divided, um, the conflicting demands <coughs> and how to address those. So, and also about the future. But before we do that, I just want you to take some time. Look over that list right here, just, just yourself, we'll talk about it. Just take about couple of minutes and circle the one or ones that make the most sense to you what your favorite strategy is and try to think of a recent example of that for yourself.
Okay. What I want to look at now then. Oh, okay. I need to, I need to, see we want to, we want to get rid of these. Okay. Come up with them. <laughs> uh, and I want to, I want to do that by using this acrostic uh, column. So they have no anxiety about anything or don't worry about. So there is this idea that in order not to do those things, we actually have to admit to ourselves that that is going on. The Bible talks about this. It's not saying, don't worry. But it's saying, you are worried. You are. Because life is filled with trouble and worry. So instead of doing that, do something else. It doesn't mean, it's not saying, act like you're not worried. Pretend you're not worried. That's not what it means. Or try to, try to just really, really hard to not think about those things. That's not what this means. This means, okay, stop and take a look and acknowledge you are really experiencing right now whatever it is that is stressful to you. Just being honest with yourself. Not pretending. See, we, have, we get caught up in the daily routine of life. Get into habits and patterns and, and even runs. Life keeps coming at us at a really fast pace. And we naturally just shift into autopilot. And it's more like, you know, again, Ben standing here. And, you know, one at a time, somebody walks up to him, starts talking to him. So I can handle it. That's good. And then, while that's going on, someone else walks up and talks, or something else is happening in your life. And then something else happens, something else happens. And then, before you know it, you're, all this is going on. Actually, for me, one of the best pictures of anxiety for me, I actually think about this, is, is Kramer on Seinfeld. <laughs> like that. And I have an inner Kramer. And I have my monitor. When I start feeling like that, I mean, okay, I need 
need to I need to be honest about what's going on here. Sometimes we'll just be sitting at home and I'll just I'm 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 watching the TV and I find I realize that I am Tina says, What are you watching? And I'm saying, I'm watching everything. Everything. <laughs> my inner framer is doing this and I can't just calm down and relax. So I said, you know, I, there is something that I'm anxious about. I have no idea what it is. There's just stuff going on inside of me. Anybody else like that? You know what I'm talking about? Please tell me you know what I'm talking about. See, head's bottom. So we have to acknowledge, but there, uh, part of this, though, is looking at. I actually want to share a verse with you that's not in your hand. Uh, I just wrote it in my notes here. Um, because this is the this is where we're headed. Ultimately, this is where we're headed. This is what confession is really about. Uh, the word confess simply means admit. Okay, we, we this is not talking about confessing sin. It's just being honest with yourself. That's confession. Saying it out loud or saying it to yourself. Uh, Psalm forty six ten says, "Be still and know." That I am God. That's, that is a passage of scripture. That's only part of the verse. But be still and know that I am God is what God was saying to the children of Israel. The context of that verse, the passage, is they are in the middle of war. They are in the midst of war, and or they are uh, they, they have enemies. There are nations that are against them, and this is what God says. Uh, cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So the idea is that in the thick of the battle of life, God is saying, be still. Now the word still, be still, that's actually uh, one word here. It's translated be still. It is a word that is used for God, one of God's names, Rock. Now, which means peace. Literally, it means to uh, stop, sink down, and relax. Or chill. Chill. It's God saying, in the midst of everything, if if you admit that what is going on around you and stop and look to me begin to do that just be still and then know who I am and how I'm involved in this that begins the process of relaxing I actually think about just kicking back in an easy chair and letting God take it that's the idea be still. So part of that, uh, acknowledging, that's really where this is headed. But it stops, starts with saying, stop. Can I recognize what I'm doing? I need to stop and then begin to shift my focus. So, uh, one of those is recognizing the sources of stress. I'm going to put all these up here. There, there are micro sources of stress. And uh, using P words here to help. They, it helps me remember. May not help you at all, but it helps me. So, there are problems, pressures, people, and pains. 
These are things in my own life, that is. So problems, house repairs, car repairs, money, pressures, expectations, deadlines, finances, people, relationship difficulties, conflicts, and such. Pains, health problems, aging, becoming more and more an issue for me. Um, my body uh, got mad at me this morning because I told it yesterday at our church picnic I was not as old as And it let me know that this morning. Um, but, and then just, just e- even other people who are having um, physical problems. Uh, another category would be the macro sources. Some focus more on the micro sources of stress. These are things that make, by the way, put this, these are the things that demand, put demands on us. Uh, philosophy, protection, politics, perils. So philosophy would just be questions about life, religion, purpose, the meaning of life. Those things create anxiety. If they're not settled, if they're not answered. What am I going to do with my life? What is my philosophy? What's life all about? Uh, protection, retirement, social security, crime. I, I'm thinking a lot now about retirement. Not because I want to retire, but, but everybody around me is talking about retirement. Is it my age, a little bit older? And that, that, I'm starting to have more and more anxiety. But what if, thinking about that? And by the way, the future, future anxiety, all of these things involve what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, and you just fill in the blank, what if. Uh, or politics, we're in an election seat here, and, you know, if you pay attention to what is going on and you read the headlines, that can create a lot of anxiety depending on what you're for and against. Um, policies that, are, that the government passes that, are, that impact us. And then perils, major catastrophes, terrorism, global problems, wars, ISIS, all of those things create <coughs> So if you didn't have enough things to worry about before you came here tonight, <laughs> here's your list. Now we don't consciously think about these things, but it starts with identifying what we're anxious about. Uh, so here's here's something that I want you to do. You have in front of you uh, a card, a, bl- a blank card that has lines on it, but. I want you to, to do a couple of things. One, um, I want you to uh, write down five things. So you, you have, I think you have this picture on there, right? Okay, I want you to write five things quickly um, at the end of each of these that are pulling at you right now. Okay? So for me, it's Brady. Taxes, when I did this, we were preparing for the taxes. House repairs. I'm thinking most of you have at least three. So now what I'd like you to do is take that card. And I'd like 
invite you to choose one of those things, one of the things that you wrote down. And on one side of the card, write, I am worried about. And then fill that in. I am worried about. So for me, when I first, when I did this a couple of weeks ago, I wrote, I am worried about preparing my taxes and a meeting tomorrow with my accountant. I'm worried we will owe a lot of money. That was immediately on my mind. I knew that we would owe some, and I know how much.
What do I need help with? And then that asking involves these things. One, being honest that you need God's help, so admitting that. And it requires humility. It requires actually <coughs> saying, I, I am inadequate to attack. I don't, I am not able to meet that need. Or I am not able to predict the future, so I don't know what's going to happen. I, I can't handle this on my own. Now, if you're like me, I don't even like to ask directions. I don't like to be told what to do. I don't even like to be told to have a nice day. Okay, if I want to have a nice day, have a nice day. It's up to me. Now you feel pressure on me to have a nice day, but if I don't, I have a day. So. <laughs> but there's a humility that is, that is needed in admitting not just what is happening and what I'm anxious about and what I need, but then saying, you know what, I, I, I need help. I might even need emotional help, I might need practical help, or I need quick. I, I need to cast my cares on God. I'm going to talk about more specifically what that means in a little bit. Then it, um, accepting. Um, accepting, acknowledging God hears from you and is able to meet your needs. Sometimes it's really difficult in the midst of all of this to believe and to experience that God actually cares. In fact, it looks like he doesn't care. We know that he cares because he says it because God cares for you. So why do we cast this on him? Because he actually really cares and he actually really does want to help. And then an attitude of gratitude, approaching God with a grateful heart. And then actually asking, telling God specifically what it is that you need in this situation. And requiring that he meet that according to his will. So with that in mind, um, likely to turn that card over. On the other side, the card that you have. And now I want you to write two things related to what you wrote on the other side. God, I ask you to, so for me, it was God asked me to help me fully prepare for the tax meeting and trust you with the outcome. That was my prayer. And then, God, I thank you for, so I want you to write that also. I, God, I thank you that you care for me and provide for us for every need that we have and more. Okay? So what I'd like to do is just take some time, a couple of minutes, or a little bit more, to write this. If you're not finished with this, it's something you probably complete afterwards. They like for you to take your card. Just hold it up like this. Nothing weird in it. Just hold it up. And just look at it. Now I want you to look at both sides at the same time. 
Do it. This is not looking at both sides at the same time. This is looking at either side. <laughs> or maybe you can do this. I don't know. Instead of focusing so on the one side I am worried about, what we do is we begin to focus on that and worry about it, worry about it, worry about it. And what God is saying, instead of doing that, do this. Very, very practical exercise. I have done this many, many, many times. Sometimes I carry the card in my wallet and just. Uh, just focus on praying for and asking God and thinking about uh, what it is that God is doing in this particular situation. Now this is this is circumstantial. These first two are what do you do when you're feeling anxious and you're going what do you do? You, you, you stop acknowledge what is going on acknowledge God uh, you confess, and then, then you ask God. Then you ask. Uh, but there's more to it than that. Beyond that is seeing beyond now into eternity as a way of life. Matthew 6 through 32 says, Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So there's this attitude, there's this understanding that God knows. Now, why does God know? How is it that God knows? He knows because He is in eternity. Apostle Paul said this, in developing an eternal perspective, like Paul said, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. Well, Paul, this whole, the whole passage here is about the resurrection of Christ. And he's saying, if the resurrection is not true, if Jesus didn't really resurrect from the dead, then there is no eternity and we have no salvation. But we are living as if there is an eternity, as if he really did raise from the dead, and it's costing us a tremendous amount in this life to believe that. So if it's not true, then we are fat. We are pitiful. What he was saying is we really do believe it really is true. So we have this eternal perspective. Luke 21, 33, heaven and earth will pass away, this is Jesus speaking, but my words will not pass away. So how is it that God knows what is going on? No, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that that day uh, come upon you suddenly like a trap. He's talking about in the end of the world, in time. He's saying that um, having that eternal perspective, knowing that his words will not pass away, they will be eternal, is what helps us not get weighed down by the cares of this life. So that eternal perspective is critical to managing anxiety and stress. So, let me help give you a way to think about this. Developing this eternal perspective. 
is understanding time and space in light of eternity. We live in time. We live in time. It's linear. Time keeps marching on. Now, we can measure time by time past. We have a memory of that, a record of that, we experience that. There is time past. Time present is right here, right now. We are aware of that. But there's also time future. But here's what we tend to do. We tend to think that this is not time. The time is time. Time was created by God, and God lives outside of time in eternity. So, time has a beginning, and it has an end. There's God spoke time into existence, and God will end time. God was before time, He is still outside of time, and He is after time. God lives outside of eternity. I want to tell you two things. It will help you get perspective on this. Um, one is something that my dad, who was a pastor, would say in sermons. And I remember hearing this as a kid, trying to explain eternity. And he said, imagine that every 10,000 years, God sends a duck to the earth to um, the beaches and picks up one grain of sand every 10,000 years. Okay? The dove does that. God sends the dove to you. said, by the time all of the sand on all of the earth is completely gone, eternity would not have even begun. <laughs> I remember hearing that as a kid thinking, that is a long time. But see, you can't even say it's a long time because that's using time to describe something that's outside of time. So, what's the point of that? So, what of that is the second thing? Since God is outside of that, and this could be a mind blow for some of you, since God is outside of that, all of this for him, has already happened. So when God says, trust me, I got this, he's not saying, trust me, I got this, and put the words after you. He's saying, trust me, from my vantage it's all going to work out. Now, it may not work out in your time future the way you want it to, but it has worked out absolutely in eternity exactly the way I want it to. God's not saying, trust me, I'm going to give you every single thing you want in time future. He's saying, trust me, no matter what happens in time future, you put your hope in eternity. That's where the promise is. Promise is not key. Promise is key. Does that make sense? That's a very different perspective. <coughs> so, 
What helps me not be afraid? See, where, where is the fear? The fear is about time future. And quite often, when we ask God to do things, we're asking Him to do things in time future. And God is willing to do that. But there, there's an interesting passage in 1 Corinthians 15, or in Hebrews. Hebrews 11, I was talking about everybody who, who uh, are the heroes of faith and they trust in God. These are from the Old Testament. Interesting phrase, it says in God, um, some of the heroes of faith. It says, and they died in faith, never knowing the promise. Is that interesting? Never realizing the promise. They died in faith, never realizing the promise. Why? Because the promise was not here, it was here. So they trusted God all the way through to the end, because their trust was not in time future, but in the God who holds the future from the vantage point of eternity. That's that's one thing. <coughs> Second thing is faith. So for me, that might not be for you, but for me, the time thing is a mind blower. <laughs> Actually, put it, this is the way I think about it. From God's vantage point, I have already died and I'm with God. These are the experience conversations we have. That's about as far as I can go. I have no idea how to work all that out. But I know this, that eternity allows God to move in and out of time. And he's not restricted. So, um, space. Space is another one. We are restricted to three dimensions. We can't even think or speculate beyond three dimensions. We try to with, with CG and all CGI and all that stuff and, and films and really fast. <coughs> but we can't do that. If God created three dimensions, he's at least we know this from the scriptures. Whatever four dimensions or more is, walk right through this. And it can flop. <laughs> and it can move around. Um, so God is able to manipulate. Everything, even at the molecular level, because he created it. Nothing stops him. So that perspective changes things. Where our hope is, the hope is not here, it's here. And who we hope in makes a difference. So I'd like for you to add your tables right now. Um, Just talk with each other. Um, how does this perspective make a difference in what you're struggling with? How does that change? <coughs> how does that make a difference? Okay? Take a few minutes to talk. Yeah, let's come back together. So, before I talk about the last 
page there, which really I'm just going to talk through. Uh, that was, was really my intent in this, is not to, we could spend a lot of time on each one of those points before we get there. Uh, I want to come back to that exercise that we did with Ben and the others. And the idea here, in fact, would you guys come back up here? Mind doing that? Those of you that did that? <laughs> So bad if you're getting in the middle here. The idea is this that the scripture teaches some old here. Scripture teaches, and I'm gonna I'm gonna actually be instructing okay. in just a minute. But scripture teaches to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything else will be put in its proper place. That's actually what it says. And then be anxious for nothing, don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let God know your request. And then peace of God, which is the opposite of anxiety, will guard your hearts and minds to trust you. Both of those verses say the same thing. They were looked at casting all your cares on him. So the common theme there is looking to God. Putting God first. So, would you guys begin talking again? Just whatever you want. Start talking. So there was a baby. Responsibility. Okay, so go away. <laughs> uh, that's that's not really by the way. Now I'm way oversimplifying this, obviously, but that is the biblical picture of anxiety, and then um, which motivates us to then prioritize and sort according to God's priorities. Which means we have to know and understand what those are. Means we have to learn to set boundaries based on what God tells us. Now, it's not that simple. I understand that because there are demands on us that that you can't tell the kid, "Get over here," and you get over here. <laughs> I understand that. We're talking about in principle, there are things one that that God wants us to manage our lives in a way that helps us to. Um, keep reduced stress. There's one, there's one last point there, however, with regard to the future. God instructs us how to face the future. And this is one of those 
in that exercise right there, this is what Ben could say to each one of those, because they're saying, will you do this? Will you do this? Will you do that? Will you do this? Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And here is the attitude that we are to have toward tomorrow. And I try to practice this in my life. James says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life for you? You are a mist that appears for me time and then vanishes. Think about that time and space thing. Instead, so this is a, yet another passage that says, don't do this, but instead do this. God doesn't tell us to stop doing things without telling us what to do instead. So this is the instead. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So what is our attitude toward tomorrow? What's our attitude toward tonight? We're in the car, we're driving home, we're making home, we're going to relax. Actually, none of you know for sure what I just said. None of you do. And it's arrogant to think that we can say that with any measure of confidence whatsoever. So it's approaching the future with humility, said, Lord, look. Now, you don't want to do that out loud every time you say something? Because people won't understand that. But we need to say it at least in our hearts. It makes a difference. It says, I understand God, that, I, that you are in control of the future. I heard something that years ago when I was 17, I heard uh, uh, Rick Warren speaking, and he said, he said something that really impacted me from that day on. He said, today has been crucified between two thieves, yesterday and tomorrow. Where we allow the past and time future to rob us of the joy. And the right attitude toward the present is living in the present in light of eternity. And then saying, Lord willing about time future and everything that we do. Uh, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? This is a theme that's all the way through the Bible. Stop acting like you know what tomorrow brings. That's the, that's the idea. Now you can drive yourself nuts with that. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So this idea that keeps us from borrowing trouble, which we tend to do. Seek the things that are above not the things that are on earth. Set your mind on things that are above. This is what it means to live in the present. If you have died, then your life is hidden with Christ in God. Um, I'm going to move on. And this I'm just going to walk you through in two minutes. These are things I want to encourage you to go back to and look at. These are ten practices that prevent and reduce the amount of anxiety and stress. But the core principle is Matthew 6, 33. Uh, the, but the peace of God is when that word actually means integrity. Everything is in its right place. Everything is working together the 
that guard your heart. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So here are the ten practices. Trusting God, we've talked about that a lot. Uh, Isaiah's steadfast in mind, you will keep in perfect peace. Though the steadfast in mind, because he trusts in you. Lean on him, and he will make your path straight. Lamentation says, The Lord's loving kindness never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. So, that idea of trusting God. Uh, stay within your circle of responsibility. That creates a lot of anxiety. Basically, Galatians 6, 4 through 5 says, Mind your own business. <laughs> In so many words, it says, Examine your own work. Each should bear his own load. So take responsibility and don't take on someone else's responsibility. We have we have a relative whose grown child she has her son. She has taken on the responsibility of paying his child support for his kids, and he is completely irresponsible. That is not her responsibility. And that has created, because you can't afford it, tremendous anxiety. But we do things like that all the time. We take our things and don't want them. Uh, focus on what needs doing right now. Jesus said, faithful and a little thing. So, ask, what do I need to do right now? What needs doing? Rather than we get overwhelmed by, like I'm thinking about the garage. My garage is a mess. And thankfully, my daughter loves to organize because uh, she's just let me know when you want to do this it's, it's but um, I'm going to take her up but anyway it's a matter well, I go out there and I look at it and I think oh man just I had a match <laughs> what you have to do is you got to take one thing at a time start putting the Christmas the Christmas stuff is still bad, bad. It's got to be bad. all this stuff so it's, it's a little thing at a time that's the way uh, our lives. Maybe, maybe we'll take care of your health. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not your own body with Christ. Glorify God in your body. A lot of stress comes because we have to take care of ourselves. Um, consider others. What Philippians 2, 3 through 4 is about. Uh, live your life considering the needs of others and how what you do impacts other people. To me, this is a 91 career. Um, I speak English, but I also read sign language on the freeway. You know, when I get out on the freeway, I have a choice right then. This is about me, or this is about other people. Actually, that even works back to getting up early enough to leave early enough so that I am not in a hurry, so that I am not now competing with everybody on the street. And so I don't want to, I don't wish I had a nuclear warhead on the front of my car to take out this guy in a 45 miles an hour in an 85 miles an hour zone. With nobody in front of him and everybody else. <laughs> Uh, be flexible in your plans. We plan, but God directs. Number <coughs> 16, 19. Rigidity of plans means that you break more easily. When you take, you take a, a plant, you have this bend, you can bend that. But you take a stick and bend it and it breaks. Rigidity breaks. 
And what we tend to do to feel better about ourselves, we get everything really rigid around us. And everybody has to follow that plan. And we have this plan. It has to go. When was the last time plans went the way they were supposed to? I mean, come on. They don't. So we have to we have to plan enough to have an open hand that reduces the Make reality checks. Proverbs 18.2 says, The fool doesn't delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. Uh, we worry needlessly sometimes because we refuse to check our assumptions, make assumptions, and we believe they're true. We want to ask for help. The way of a fool seems right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to counsel and save a lot of stress by asking for help, like directions or something. Uh, learn to be satisfied with what you need. Paul learned contentment, he said. It's getting strength from the Lord and not speaking from want. But learning to be satisfied with what we need. And then finally, expressing gratitude and everything give thanks. Uh, Paul said in First Thessalonians. Well, I hope this has been a help to you. Uh, I, by, by going over those ten things, I don't mean to give the impression that they're unimportant. They are not. What I wanted to do tonight was start with the more specific circumstantial things of everyday life and then go to the bigger picture of you. Um, where to see that it is a way, there's a certain way of life, there's a certain way of approaching life that God tells us. God cares enough about us that he has revealed to us actually how to approach life, how to think about it, how to understand it, and how to... To, to really uh, live and receive the blessings in this life that he wants to give. So, hope, again, hope it's been helpful to you. Thank you very much. And uh, we're fighting fast. Sometimes stresses me out is when I attend things and I learn a bunch of different things, and then like two weeks later I realize I haven't thought about it at all. So I encourage you, just just what he said, think through at least just one insight, um, and there were many. One thing that you can actually kind of take to heart and think, you know, a little bit more on as you face the things right now that are you know, causing some anxiety. Uh, we do have some, some more coffee, uh, so please feel free to hang out. If you do have kids in child care, I encourage you to get them in the next few minutes so we can relieve the child care workers. So once again, thank you guys for being here. Hope you guys have a great week.